Welcome to ThinkBox Radio, news, tips, and stories from America's coolest college makerspace. We're coming to you from Sears ThinkBox, the innovation center at the Case School of Engineering, the largest makerspace on an American college campus. Our goal is to share the magic that happens here and inspire your own maker dreams. I'm Robert Smith, your host. Our producer is Alex Zinni, and today our guest is Sarah Ryan. Sarah is a senior with a double major in mechanical and aerospace engineering, a minor in astronomy, and she's president of the Case Rocket Club. Sarah, welcome to the show. So, let's start off by telling people what is the Case Rocket Club, what is this club you lead, and uh, what is your mission? So, Case Rocket Team is an organization that is entirely run by undergrads on campus here at Case Western Reserve University. Our mission is to get people on campus interested in amateur rocketry as well as provide them with outlets to do so. So every year we participate in a competition. In the past we've done a competition called Battle of the Rockets. This year we'll be participating in the FAR 1030 competition. So this gives us challenges for all of our members to try and work through and hopefully apply some of the things that they learned in class to something a little more hands-on. Okay, so you build rockets for competitions and you compete against other universities, other rocket clubs? Correct. So other universities also have their own rocket teams, and we all try our best to fulfill whatever challenge is issued to us, uh, and we are scored based on how well we do at that mission that we're given. Cool. Like, So what would be some examples of the challenges, um, some of the objectives you have to achieve at a competition? So, for example, last year at Battle of the Rockets, we had to build a rocket that would launch to 1,500 feet at that point, At its peak altitude, we would deploy a payload, which was in the form of a Martian rover, is what they called it, that would come down separately on its own parachute. Uh, The rocket also came down on a parachute. Once it landed safely, it would uh, drive a route through the cornfield, and then it would also be sending us pictures and telemetry data about the environment that it landed in uh, back at a ground station, which was a computer that had a radio connection to the rover itself out in the landing area. Wow, and this all worked. This all happened. Correct. So we actually did get telemetry data and pictures to be sent back. We had a few difficulties with movement, I know, especially on the first launch. We launched twice. Uh, the second launch, we had a little bit more luck. Still didn't drive the full route, but we did get all of our information back. So we were happy that our radio connection did work out. Uh, the rocket through the whole thing was successful as well. So it did launch up to its proper altitude. We checked that with the altimeter data afterwards uh, and came down safely. Okay, so I'm looking at the rocket here. We're in the Rocket Club Bay on the fifth floor of ThinkBox, and I'd say this rocket is about uh, eight, nine feet long? Correct. It's just over eight feet long. Okay, and, and it's black with a red nose cone and red fins at the end, and it looks like it's made of some kind of composite material. Right, so all of the major components of the airframe here, which consists of the payload bay tube that's this wide one at the end, a transition that brings it from that wider diameter down to the narrow diameter, and the narrow diameter, diameter tube uh, at the end here are all reinforced with fiberglass. So in the past we had just used cardboard, but when it comes down for a harder landing, that's not necessarily a, a structurally rigid material that will withhold that, so we decided it was time to make it a little more sturdy. The front and back of the rocket here, the straight tubes, are both made with a cardboard base, and then we did a hand layup of fiberglass over them. The center here is actually entirely fiberglass. We started with a mandrel that we 3D printed, uh, worked over that in a manual layup of fiberglass, and then removed the mandrel afterwards. Okay, and you should, uh, listeners should know that the center gets fat. 
So it's a slender rocket, but then about halfway up, it gets maybe twice as wide. Correct. It goes from a four-inch diameter to an eight-inch diameter. Okay. So it's exactly twice as wide. And it's wide all the way to the bright red nose cone, and that's so it can carry a payload. Correct. Yeah. So the payload bay is just wider in diameter than the wheels of our two-wheeled rover so that that slides in just about perfectly in the top portion of our rocket. Okay. And so how high did this rocket have to go? This rocket had to get to 1,500 feet. Is that high in, in, in the rocket business? That's not terribly high, especially since this is a very large rocket. It's heavier. We don't go super high with these payload rockets. You can get a much higher altitude with a smaller rocket. In the past, we've done altitude competitions. Uh, those ones usually we've had end up closer to about 4,000 feet with our level 2 motors. We do certification launches. We once had one go to 7,000 feet. Uh, so this one, because it had a separate mission involved, is not our peak altitudes that we've hit before. Okay. And then the rover, which is about the size of a small toaster oven, <laughs> had to come out and drop down uh, on its own parachute, hit the ground, and start walking. Yeah. So we have been given rules ahead of time that state that we might be in a cornfield that still has corn stalks. So we always have to make sure that our wheels would be capable of some rough terrain. So we have... Fairly round wheels, but we decided to put some kind of tread-like spikes on these wheels yeah. such that it can climb over anything that it runs into. Yeah, there's two big spiked wooden wheels. It looks kind of like a chariot. I would say so, yeah. And then in the back, we also have this tail here that's a wooden dowel rod that's connected uh, that's spring-loaded. So we knew that we didn't have enough room in our payload bay to have a full four-wheeled setup. Uh, but we still needed this to balance, and with two wheels, it can spin around in the middle. So we added a tail in the back that can be compressed into the body of the rover, and then when it's released out of the tube of the rocket, it springs out and serves as our third balancing point when it drives. Nice. So that was your own innovation. Correct. That's our rover team came up with that last year. So there's a lot of different engineering here. you got aerospace, you got mechanical, you got electrical. Do you have all these different um, engineering interests on your team? We typically get a fairly widespread of engineers. Uh, it focuses mainly, I would say, on aerospace and mechanical engineers, but we've also gotten engineering physics over the year. Um, we had a math major one year, so it does vary as well, and we take all of those expertise or um, areas of expertise into account when we're building our rocket and splitting up teams. Uh, we have a lot of computer science people. Uh. We have some computer engineering, um, and all of that has come together to build the different components that you see in front of you. Okay. So, Sarah, how did you build this fairly complex, eight-foot-tall competition rocket? Could you take us through the steps? I imagine you start with design? Sure, yeah. So we start with design. Uh, we usually use a software called Open Rocket, and that helps us with initial sizing. So we can get a sense of what the different properties of our rocket will be in terms of size and weight, uh, how big of the fins we need. We also, from that calculation, will start to get stability. So we need to make sure that we have a stability caliber between 1 and 2, and that's basically measured by the diameters that the center of gravity, or the CG, and the center of pressure, the CP, are apart from one another. So we want to make sure that the CG is closer towards the nose cone and the CP is closer back towards the fins, uh, and that those are apart from one another by a certain distance. So that's important at that stage. Once we get all of that design done, that's just initial sizing, we actually put all of those measurements into CAD to make sure all of this is something that's feasible and that we could build and put together with the different capabilities that we have and the components that are available on the market as well. 
Okay, and so now you have a design of a rocket, and you know what uh, different components you need. Right, so then we actually will start ordering the different base materials we need and working through creating individual components. So we don't put this whole thing together until the very end. We try and keep it separate uh, until they need to go together. So, for example, this end tube here that has the fins and will also have the motor mount inside it. Uh, we build the motor mount first, which is going to be uh, this year, we actually use the ShopBot to cut our centering rings and our bulkheads, which are the internal wooden components that hold the whole structure together. Uh, so we, we went down, used the ShopBot to cut those out and put those You went downstairs in ThinkBox. Yes, downstairs to the fourth floor, which has the wood shop and the machine shop on okay. it. Okay. So we installed all of those in their proper locations in that final tube, as well as cut the slots for the fins. The fins were cut on the ShopBot as well. Uh, the reason for that versus the laser cutter this year, since we usually use the laser cutter, was because we were using much uh, thicker wood. We were using half-inch plywood instead of the quarter-inch that we typically use. Uh, this will give us a little more structural soundness. We've had some issues with things breaking before, so we wanted to make sure that nothing would break this year. Sure. Uh, there are also additional centering rings and bulkheads in the top section here that's the wide diameter, as well as a single bulkhead in the tip of the What's nose. What's a bulkhead? Is that... Like a bulkhead a is, is a fancy name for a basically a circle of plywood that holds a position inside one of these tubes that we can attach a linkage of some sort to. Okay. So usually that's where we mount our eye bolts. So it's like infrastructure. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's going to hold the structure of the tube as well as provide a place that we can mount things because it's very difficult to mount things to the sides of the tubes themselves. We mount something inside those tubes that we can use as a, as okay. a place to hold everything together and so and the rocket mount down here at the thin bottom is is that the propulsion system is that yes yeah, so in that bottom section we have the motor mount tube which is the internal structure that holds the motor uh, each motor we use commercial solid fuel also comes with a casing that has to be housed uh, in a retention system so also at the back there's a retaining ring she's pointing to the fins holds that motor in so that that's mainly actually while it's on the launch pad, it cannot fall out from the bottom. And then we also have structures inside that holds the motor straight uh, and in place for during launch. Okay, so you, you start from the bottom and move up. Right. So the bottom is usually the hardest part down there in terms of how much we need to uh, cut or change the actual components themselves. Uh, whereas the top up here is a little more empty just because that's our payload bay. So that's what the rover team's going to be working on is, is the internals there that's not necessarily attached to that rocket. Um, once we get all of the individual components created, then that's time when we put them together. So each of these components is connected by a coupler, which is just a slightly smaller narrow diameter uh, tube that can fit from one component to the next. These all separate. So these are where the separations in flight happen, which means that we need to make sure that they fit well And we can kind of see the rings where it would, would separate. How many sections are there to the rocket? This rocket has four sections. It separates in only two locations, though, during flight. So we have some of these that are permanent fixtures and some that are separations where we have parachutes released. So the first separation here is the nose cone itself. The nose cone can come off, and this opens up to the payload bay. The payload bay always stays connected here to the transition, uh, but here at the back, the fins can separate from the transition, and this had our second chute. Okay. So uh, a lot of this, I'm assuming, is basic rocketry. 
Um, was there any like flourishes you added, maybe to gain an edge that would uh, give you some style points? The biggest difference between our rocket and the ones that we see at competition is the changing diameter. Most people start with a straight six or eight inch diameter tube and just use that tube as the entire body. Uh, so the transition here will give us a bit of an advantage in aerodynamic properties as well as uh, weight because we don't have to have the large diameter is not necessary down at the bottom. So by being able to transition from this large diameter that you do need for the payload uh, down to the smaller diameter where you don't need it, we also have some savings. Oh, so most were just like thick all the way through. Correct. Okay. Yeah, ours is usually the only one that goes from a, a large diameter down to the small. Interesting. And did you start with a smaller model or just build this big guy? So we didn't actually use a different model this year just because we had been working off of one of our previous competition okay. rockets. So that's actually sitting there behind you. That's Aquila. That was our competition rocket for the year before this one. She's pointing to a rocket on the floor here. So that's our old rocket that we had. We had a whole bunch of senior members who actually were involved in the starting of the club who had built that one. Okay. Uh, they have since graduated. Okay. So this yours looks a little yours looks wider by half than theirs. So you made some changes. We did make some changes. That one is a bit larger than it needs to be, and also the linkages are a bit cumbersome to put together. Uh -huh. It takes us usually about an hour to actually assemble that rocket and put everything where it needs All to be. All right, so improvements. We were very much trying to streamline that design with this new design here, as well as educate our newer members, myself included, uh, about how to build a large competition like rocket like this, since, as I mentioned, the previous senior members had built that one, and they have since left. So we needed to kind of train the new group coming through uh, about how we build a rocket. How did, you sh how did you shape the rocket itself? Is this 3D printed? The middle here was 3D printed and then we wound fiberglass around it. So this was new for us. We hadn't tried something like this before. Uh, in the past, we had just used a 3D printed transition that remained as that 3D printed piece, but 3D printed components themselves are not terribly structurally sound just because you get those stratifications from building in layers. Um, whereas we want to eliminate that. ThinkBox Radio is brought to you by the Case Alumni Association, which represents the engineering, science, and math graduates of Case Western Reserve University. We're the oldest independent alumni association of engineering and applied science graduates in America. Have you heard of us? If not, you've heard of our graduates. Case grads include Henry Dow, the founder of Dow Chemical, Frank Rudy, the inventor of Nike Airsole, Paul Buchite, the creator of Gmail, and Jeanette Griselli-Brown, the first female director of corporate research at BP America. At Case, we're proud of our spirit of discovery and innovation, which is why we support ThinkBox, the world-class innovation center at the Case School of Engineering. Okay, so we're here in Sears ThinkBox, which is Case's seven-story innovation center, and uh, it's packed with tools and resources that you guys have obviously found handy. I've heard 3D printer. I've heard laser cutter. What else in this center have you found is useful for making rockets? Uh, so this year, actually, not on this rocket, but we're going to be building our larger rocket this year uh, with primarily fiberglass components also as the internals. So we're going to be using the water jet cutter a lot this year for that. Um, fiberglass can have some nasty particles that get into the air if you try and cut it with a saw, so the water jet does eliminate that some, and we'll be happy to make use of that. Uh, we've previously used just the various saws uh, downstairs. Just basic hardware tools. Yeah, oh, certainly. We've used as well the lathe last year to turn our... Uh, Blast caps, which is where we hold our black powder charges. Some of those elements need to be a little more precise than we have been with others. 
uh, anything that's wood is either on the ShopBot or the laser cutter. Uh, you mentioned we 3D print. The rover team really likes to make use of the 3D printer. We've used 3D printing to also make small mounts. We and don't we should say that the rover, components. it doesn't have its casing around it, so you see the inside, and it looks like an electronic mess here, wires all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, it looks like my car engine when I take it in and say to someone, can you fix this? We have a bunch of wires headed everywhere. I know there was a team working very hard on this to try and get all of the connections to work and everything sent to us. And it seemed to be a very complex problem. And there's some good weight to it. I'd say it weighs about two pounds, three pounds. Correct. We had a weight limit of two kilograms. And our largest weight component here is the battery that's over there. In the okay. Back. So that's what you had to send up last year. I understand this year you're going to a more intense competition, the FAR 130. What are the challenges there? So the FAR 130 has a much higher altitude than we've ever attempted before. We're going to be going to 10,000 feet, which is exciting for us. Uh, that also requires a much higher impulse motor. We're probably going to be using a motor that's designated level 3. For reference, in the past, we had used a level 2. Uh, a level 2 motor, the one that we used in this competition rocket, the last year's competition rocket, was about 1,000 newton seconds. The competition rocket this year has a limit of 40,000 newton seconds on the motor. So we have the opportunity to use a much stronger and more powerful motor, which also requires a much stronger structure for our rocket as a whole. So there's a lot more analysis that's going to go into this rocket. Okay. When do you guys start that? We are in the inkling stages of design right now. We just got our new members on board after they finished their certification launches where we get them acclimated to the team and how to build a rocket. Uh, and then we're going to be working on that rocket all the way through spring semester, the competitions in late spring or uh, early summer. Okay, okay, good, good. Sarah, you're obviously a rocket fan, obviously an aerospace engineer fan. I'm curious, what, what drew you into this science, into this hobby, into this crazy business? It's been uh, a long time interest, I suppose. Uh, when I was younger, I really enjoyed learning about the solar system and outer space, and that interest has gradually evolved over the years in school uh, to having an interest in aerospace engineering, to want to try to build the different items that can go up and explore and make those discoveries. And so I've made it to this point now where I'm majoring in aerospace engineering, and I hope to find a job in that field soon. And you're president of the award-winning Case Rocket Club. Very cool. Um, okay, you're launching rockets high in the sky, and uh, they might not land where they're supposed to. Have you ever had to hop a fence? Where's the craziest place <laughs> you ever had to retrieve one of your rockets? No fences, but any number of uh, trees we've gotten stuck in at least two or three different times where we usually have to come up with some elaborate system of, of grappling hooks or extraordinarily long poles to try and poke it out. Um, we've gotten it stuck. We launch at a farm usually, so we've gotten it stuck in the wheat, in the corn, in the soy, uh, and always have to be careful as sure. we tromp through that to try and find our rocket. Hopefully the parachute's bright enough that we can find it. Okay. Yeah, if, if the parachute fails or if something fails in the descent, um, you've lost the competition, right? It has to land clean? Right, yeah. Safe landing is required. Uh, and obviously, that would also mean that you don't get to relaunch. Usually, you get a few launch attempts, but if you land without a parachute, I don't know how likely it is you're going to be launching again. Okay. So it's very important that the descent is controlled. Okay. How about um, how can people get a chance to see this rocket launch? 
Do you practice launches that people can go see? or? Yeah, we do have test launches. So we actually just went out for our certification launch, but there's going to be another certification launch, which is where we get all of our new members to build their own uh, smaller scale rockets out in the spring. The date of that is still to be determined, but we can send that out to the Alumni Association. We also have a website, uh, caserocketteam.org. There you go. Where we post dates and we have a newsletter you can sign up for as well that'll have periodic updates on when we're going to be launching. Okay. So if you want to see a rocket that's uh, being built to go 10,000 feet, how high is that? Is that uh, like is that like airplane height? <sighs> we do have to notify the airport, uh, but I think that would be a pretty low-flying aircraft. Okay. Well, that's cool enough. You have to know what to notify. <laughs> we, yeah, we usually have to go through the FAA to make sure. Okay. Google going. Case Rocket Club, and on their website, you'll see when you can see a test launch. Um, well, this is fascinating, Sarah. And as you know, we'd love to end every episode of ThinkBox Radio with a maker tip. Is there a tip you could give to people who want to build a rocket or who are building rockets that you guys have found useful or handy? So I mentioned briefly uh, about the design of our rocket that we use a software called Open Rocket. If you're interested in getting into amateur rocketry, I would recommend going online and finding this software. It's free. It's open source. Uh, you can get your hands dirty trying some sizing. You can plug in a whole bunch of different motors. They have a, an entire catalog that you can choose from um, and play around with making your own rocket. That sounds great. Okay. That concludes another episode of ThinkBox Radio, stories from America's coolest college innovation center. I'm Robert Smith, your host. Our producer is Alex Zinni. And remember, if you can't fake it, make it.